I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a scrapyard here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. <laughs> and with us today are Libby Hill and Emily Vanderwerf. Libby just gave me a look like, yeah, scrapyard. You know, I mean, I guess it's in the movie. I suppose, <laughs> I like, <laughs> I suppose I just, that's a location. I didn't think that was actually a reference to the movie. I, I just thought you meant... Uh, the year so um, we, the we are perpetually we are perpetually in a scrapyard we uh, in the dumpster fire that is 2021 we had to delay the recording of this episode because there was almost a civil war that's true <laughs> it's true that's true it's this true. is one of our this is one of our few episodes where the lag time is less than a week so our, our listeners will be familiar with the, the most previous disaster we've had I, mm-hmm. I imagine there'll be three or four more things that will eclipse what just happened. But yes, it's really the most coup. recent coup, but who can it's say? Just, yeah, it's, it's really hard to say. I really hope that like someone is listening to this in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Before <laughs> society fell, they downloaded the latest podcast like it's 1999. They figured out how to turn on their smartphone like 50 years from now. And they're like, What's, oh, what is this? And then they listen to it and they hear me like chuckling about the thing that has destroyed their life. Hi. Hi. I, I, Our marriage in a nutshell. <laughs> that's our podcast in a nutshell i feel like we've done yeah. we, we've been we've been great um oh we've, been, we've been great yeah. chroniclers 
of the you know the slow march towards apocalypse over the last we have for really years have. and laughing about it the whole way just merrily merrily laughing about it as the world yeah. ends. i mean yesterday um, we recorded an episode i mean whatever uh with liz hannah on when harry met sally started that episode with a this was a great movie to watch right after a potential coup yeah it's good times so this is an interesting movie, though, to it watch is an movie. in and around a potential coup because it would be great to have a giant robot who thinks he's Superman to take yeah. care of our, our current situation. I think that would solve the problem for maybe a day or two. I would also, cool. I would also say that the the guy who, and forgive me for not remembering the character's name, I think it's Kent, if I'm not mistaken, Kent Manzi. Yeah, Kent, Man- who tries to uh, start. The coup basically at the end has a Josh Hawley vibe to him, uh, which I think is feels appropriate under the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Iron Giant, guys. Did you see this movie in '99? Did you see this movie around '99? Oh, here we go. What's going on? Emily? Hi. Emily is inches from her screen right now. Patreon uh, viewers will probably be able to see like this. The, yeah. Like the Cheshire Cat. Emily, just, Emily, uh, what's happening? I just remembered we're recording this for Patreon. I've been eating yogurt the whole time. People oh, it's not Patreon. Like, it's great. Yeah. It's great. It's good. Yeah. The pay, that's, what the, that's what the donors want to see. <laughs> that's what the paywall's for. Yeah. 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 Um, you know how hard it is for me to deal with her eating while she's recording or in <laughs> meetings? Like, we've been through a lot this year, <laughs> but. Swear to God. Um, anyway, Emily, why don't you tell them this good story? So uh, my understanding is that Libby had not seen this film until yesterday, by which I mean um, January 7th, 2021, Thursday. We had started to watch it back when the DVD first came out, which uh, was in 2004. Um, and she uh, stopped about 30 minutes in and was like, something bad's going to happen to the giant. I can't watch this. And I was like, okay, we'll catch up with it later. <laughs> 17 years pass. Oh, you dumb dodo. That's not the story. I know, I, I know. This is this is this is like a this is like a buildup. This is like a like a Seinfeld backwards episode. Like I'm I'm going uh-huh. I'm just it's like popping. tenant. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like tenant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so she finally saw it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, I and then saw I cried it. for like a half an hour. It's yeah. it's fine. Mm-hmm. I was I had really done a a, a favor to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably a good release, right? To some degree, emotionally. She maybe? made she made me spoil sure. a couple weeks ago when we knew we were going to be doing this. She made me spoil the end of the movie for her because she was like, "So just tell me, does the giant die?" And I was like, "Yes," but then he comes back. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, spoiler everybody. Um, Just, yeah. yeah, I uh, I saw this shortly after it opened. I think the second week when it was already pretty clearly a bomb and it was like shuttling out of theaters. Mm-hmm. I saw it with my uh, recently ex-girlfriend. Uh, her name was, was Katie. Hi, Katie. Um, and we had, I thought we had broken up because we both went off to college 
this dates when I started college, which was fall 1999. And uh, we both went off to college and she said, well, we'll see what happens. And I took that to mean we were broken up and she took that to mean we would see what happened. Uh, <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first, first day of college, I, I met this girl and was like super into her, even though I didn't want to admit it, admit it. She just kissed my cat. Um, and, uh, gross. gross. I was, I was super into her. Didn't want to admit it. Uh, but a weekend we started kissing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go over to Minnesota where Katie's going to college to see her. Cause we had this planned trip. And I was like, let's go see a movie. So we see this film, The Iron Giant. I really like it. In the middle of it, she wants to make out. Who am I to say no? We're seeing what happens. This is a thing that's happening to me in the moment. So we do some kissing. It's fun. Um, And then, you know, I go back home to my new college friends who I'm also making out with, which is great. (laughs) Good time for me. But I did not know is that Katie had a cold sore. Oh, no. So I got the cold sore, and then I passed it to my new college girlfriend. That's actually not a, I've never had a cold sore. You like, had I a, thought I was getting a cold sore, but then I didn't get a cold this sore. Is, guys, this, this is a child's podcast, okay? It's really, yeah, a cold it's really sore. But, I've yeah. never had another cold. Sore, that's I, of all the nope. things we've we've ever discussed on the podcast. That's the one where I'm like, yes, yeah, too far, too no, far. Listen, listen. I when you <laughs> when you, you I remember you had a cold sore because you screamed at me one night. I have been marked. I have been marked by you. Oh, uh, every so can I? Can I? I, I, gotta I mean, ask a that's that's do, very. Do you? Oh God! Do you feel like you missed? Uh, a fair amount of the Iron Giant in this screening, or do you feel like you, you know, it, got the the gist of the film, even though you made out during a portion of it? Well, Phil, <laughs> I am. I at the time. I mean, I still do. But I at the time had a condition noticed. Libby, I, you're you're talking to you're talking about a woman who tried to make out during what like Passion of the Christ or something like that. With you were there stuff. for Passion she, of the Christ, so you Katie remember. Or Emily, who was doing the making the, the making the move during Passion of the Christ. I uh, Emma, oh, what was the one? I my my uh, during Prince of Egypt. Right. My uh, another animated film. My then girlfriend. Yeah, my then girlfriend Karen. Soon, yeah. Hi, Karen. Uh, she tried to make out during Prince of Egypt. Um, I was not having it then. I did I did do the making out during Iron Giant. And what I wanted to say earlier before I was rudely interrupted by Libby. My apologies. It was that uh, I, at the time, and still to this day, I had, I had a condition known as gender dysphoria that made compartmentalization of my brain extremely easy. And so... I got total recall of what happened in the Iron Giant. It also was very good at making out. I could just like do both at the same time. That's impressive. Okay, number one, eh, let's not oversell it. And number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two, does everything come back to gender dysphoria with you? Like that just looks like the aristocrats. It, like you can't just roll <laughs> it. God. It's kind of an all-encompassing condition, oh, Libby. I know, honey. 
Can I just say so anyway, that I am delighted story. by how the Iron Giant episode has begun because this is not what I expected. And I, I think our listeners are going to be It's actually oh. kind of what I expected, yeah, to be I honest. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> We've done enough podcasts with Emily now. I think I know what to expect when we come on. There's a definitely going to be some, talk, some talk about smooching. I'm sure of that. <laughs> I want to say you oh. have not had me. Uh, you've not had, you didn't have us on in forever. You didn't have me on in 2020 outside of a Felicity Friday, which counts, but marginally. Um, it's I would agree not, with that. It's marginally. not real. It's How not real. Kenny's not there. It's not I would, real. This is true. This is true. There. That's yeah. true. Everybody knows that. Yes. That's yeah. true. So I, I, you know, I am a little hurt. I do have a bone to pick that I was not on. We didn't have you on in all of 2020. Yep. I, um, what Libby was doing, not remember Phil? 2020. Like there was some stuff happening. Like, I also want to say that oh, I, I also okay. like stopped podcasting for like three months. Uh, I can attest I, to that. Yes, I just kind of, I just kind of up and disappeared for for three to six months. I would say, Phil, right? It was uh, about three to six months. I would also say to <laughs> Emily that um, because of that swath of time and because of 2020 being what it was, we kind of held back on some of the like really good movies uh-huh and we want to have you on for really good movies so well, here's, that's here's, like bicentennial man yeah, like here's, my, bicentennial uh, here's my bone to pick. libby and i have been on the story of us and bicentennial man episodes together as a happily married couple and we were always like <laughs> the next time we come in mm-hmm. we are going to do a good movie and yeah. so we're doing the iron giant one of the best movies of 1999 and it's already just abject chaos it's literally just like <laughs> yes. the most chaotic episode it's, it's, it's well, clearly you and not the movies but yeah. that's I mean, why we have you we love you guys but sure. I, I phil i'm going to turn this one to you for a sec sure. phil and i both have a confession to make we'll make it together oh. at the same time okay phil and i i'm going to make the confession on your behalf phil okay. all right Correct. neither of us had seen this movie before the uh before this podcast accurate. Yeah, correct. Neither of us, I think we both pretended to each other that we had seen and it. And to the world, quite honestly. And to the world. We, didn't act, we, didn't, we never sat there and said, so back when I saw The Iron Giant. Correct. Or correct. we didn't put it on our top 10 list, but we always mentioned it as one of the great yes. movies of the year, only by reputation. But, yeah. but we never even acknowledged it to each other until right before we saw this movie that, you know, <laughs> I've never seen it. And we just kind of silently were like, just hoping that people wouldn't ask us if we saw it. You listen. Yeah. You say you haven't pretended to have seen it, but you know the Hollywood and Highland Center where they have those little squares that say, "I came to Hollywood to try to be a screenwriter, and they hired me as a script girl, and then I worked my way up, and then I wrote the Bridge on the River Kwai." And you're like, "This is not written by a woman," but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that weird, there's that really weird stone there that says, "Yes, we saw the Iron Giant." Phil and Kenny, screenwriters, and it's and like we're holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the that's the only time that's we the said only we did example it. of it. Only what example. If no one has actually watched this movie. We're all just like, oh, Iron Giant, it's great. That's my that's my theory, Libby. That's my theory, Libby. No I mean, one has actually watched, watched this movie. It. Right. This is a this is a classic makeout movie. Everyone goes to this movie just to make out and no one actually watches it. But I, 
I, I just, I actually think that I actually think that that virtually no one outside of film critics and Brad Bird completists have watched this movie. I now I have I have young children and I've watched every single animated movie from 1939 until current day. Sure, uh, and I never even watched this with my kids, partially Did you watch because this I was with si- your kids. I watch I watched it with Cole. It's the first movie I actually watched oh. with my three-year-olds. Interesting. Um, and uh, and he he really liked it. Re- crazily enough, we stopped halfway through because it was his bedtime, and he asked to finish it, which is a crazy thing for a little three-year-old. So, wow. yeah, yeah, he really liked it. I, uh, I my my seven my eight-year-old Rollins uh, wanted you know. He, he, I mean, I'm such a bad dad. He only wants to watch R-rated movies now. So anything that's not R-rated, I'm, I'm like, Rollins, this is about like nuclear war. There's a lot of <laughs> gunplay in this. Like, sure. this is your shit, man. And he's Killer like, no, no, He's like, it's animated. It's from 20 years ago, and it looks like crap. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. Get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I'd never seen this movie. and uh, And I also would say... Um, I mean, I read your piece on Brad Bird. I think you wrote it maybe two years ago, or right after Incredibles when, 2? Incredi- when Incredibles 2 came out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always wrestled with the same thing with Brad Bird, um, or at least it's always kind of been omnipresent in my mind, like, what is this guy thinking? So I, uh, your piece helped me get past that a bit, which is mm-hmm. just for the listeners – the question is: Is he a, is he Randy and is he an objectivist? Um, and uh, and I've always kind of been a little uncomfortable with Bird movies for that reason. So well, I, um, I mean, I, I think that the I'm assuming that the the uh, the theory behind that, the connection behind that, um, is Iron Giant, Incredibles, Tomorrowland certainly have a line that kind of courses through them a little bit in terms of how they see uh, capitalism to a certain degree. Not, not Iron Giant as much, but it's really the, the, the argument, I believe, is an Incredibles and Tomorrowland argument. Tomorrowland, it can be and read as kind of, And Ratatouille. Yeah. No, for real, for real. Uh, really? but Ratatouille, Ratatouille is, is almost a counter-argument, right? Ratat- like, Incredibles and, and, and Tomorrowland has this real Galtian thing, which is like, great white people should be great white people. And then Ratatouille right. is like, no, you can also be a great rat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like, great, like, like, sometimes, yeah, all right, so go Ratatouille, ahead. Ratatouille is, I think, actually the most objectivist of his films because its argument is everybody is built to do one thing and you better do that thing uh, or else you're going to be unhappy. I, I think Ratatouille might be his best movie, um, but also, like, yeah, like, you kind of have to be like, I view his films through a very different prism than objectivism. But if you want to be like, well, this is all very objectivist, I think Ratatouille is one of the better arguments for that, honestly. Libby, you kind of, you kind of, if you don't mind me saying, you kind of uh, reacted strongly when Emily said that Ratatouille is the best Brad Bird film. Uh, I mean, Ratatouille is never, was never a favorite of mine. Um, just in general, like I, I don't think it's one of Pixar's bests, and so I, I think, I mean, wow. The Incredibles for me is well, no, I, The Incredibles better. is my standard answer for Pixar's best movie, and I think it's my favorite of Brad Bird's films. But I think Ratatouille, like on a thematic level, is probably 
like it's probably the most complex and the most interesting. And like, if he's going to have one movie put in the time capsule, I think it will be that one. Cause now there's a TikTok musical of it and everybody loves it. So who doesn't love a TikTok musical? I, I, yeah. I, I quite, I quite love Ratatouille and I quite don't love Incredibles. I don't interesting. really, I don't really understand Incredibles to be honest and never have. Um, I but, think there's a family I, of superheroes. And, uh, <laughs> can I posit a theory as to why you might not like The Incredibles, Kenny? Of course. Um, although, I, you told me recently that you've started re-watch, or watching the Bond movies with, is it with, uh, with Rollins? Yeah, about yeah. three in. Okay, okay. so you got, you got a couple to go. I got three but, in, um, yeah, I watched the first three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and your, 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 your theory holds. I think you know what I'm. It's not get my kind of movie. Yeah, it's not your. You, you don't really love spy movies. Um, you know what I mean. And 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 I think that. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you. Did you even see Ghost Protocol? No, I don't. I, I hate Mission okay. Impossible. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's not a surprise that you don't like The Incredibles. <laughs> I don't like The Incredibles. I don't. Uh, I, it, it doesn't. It doesn't scratch my Pixar itch the the way the other ones do. It doesn't sure. do what the 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 best Pixar movies for me do. It's not you know to me. It's the it's the Toy Stories and Inside Out, Monsters Inc. Um, there there's a there's a certain brand of Pixar that really I mean Wally really work for me really sure, sure. well. And uh, Brad Bird, I, I think, <clears throat> and this is again this this feels more you know. This this feels more like my subjective thing than than anything else. But Bradbird's a little sillier than I want him to be, um, and you see it a little bit in Iron Giant. There's a little scatological humor there that I feel like that's not necessary for me. That doesn't that takes me out of the, of the mindset I want to be. And I know it works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. So can I? Can I, I actually have a yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. We, we 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 can talk about that later though. Like I don't know. No, I we're I talking about say, it now. I do want to say I, I do hear you, Kenny, and see I like movies that have women in them. So um that might be why I prefer Incredibles over uh right. Ratatouille, which is just kind of a garbage monster of <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Ratatouille, that the greatest weakness of Ratatouille is it has, you yeah. know, the one lady character and she's not that interesting whereas elastigirl on to elastigirl and 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 violet are very good characters i think is what you're saying yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. i I also i just one one quick other thing i just want to say about ratatouille is i I think that part of it is there's a revisionist or, or sort of a people are reappraising that film because it didn't do particularly well when it came out so there's a little bit of people that like i think an underdog ratatouille People adored Ratatouille when it came out. There was an argument. There was an argument. I remember this distinctly. Should have won Best Picture because it was the no, best I'm not, I'm not, movie of the year. I'm not suggesting it wasn't critically acclaimed. I'm just saying that like, on Pixar level, what that's worth. But I also think that the, I think there's something sort of unlikely about that movie, right? That movie shouldn't work. For all intents and purposes, it's about a rat who can cook. Rats um, should there are not so cook. many rats in that movie. Like when the rats come through the ceiling in Ratatouille, I, I it, it like I revolt. Like it's it's so fucking gross to me. But I love the movie, <laughs> but that is like a gross fucking moment. Um uh, so I, I just it's 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 fighting with itself in the sense of daring you 
to enjoy it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give a synopsis of The Iron Giant. In this animated adaptation of Ted Hughes' Cold War fable, a giant alien robot voiced by Vin Diesel crash lands near the small town of Rockwell, Maine in 1957. Exploring the area, a local nine-year-old boy, Hogarth, discovers the robot and soon forms an unlikely friendship with him. When a paranoid government agent, Kent Mansley, uh, becomes determined to destroy the robot Hogarth and beatnik Dean McCoppin, uh, voiced by Harry Connick Jr., must do what they can to save the misunderstood machine. Notice the mother, voiced by Jennifer Aniston, is not included in this synopsis. Uh, maybe that says something. The Iron Giant opened on August 4th, 1999. In ninth place, they sort of tried to platform it, I guess, a little bit, uh, with $1.6 million behind the Sixth Sense Blair Witch Project, uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, and Mystery Men. It would go on to make $31.3 million on a $50 million budget. It's got 96% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 90% from audiences. Uh, the film was nominated for several awards, uh, winning nine Annie Awards out of 15 nominations. Uh, through home video releases and television syndication, the film garnered a cult following and is widely regarded as a modern animated classic. Uh, I'm going to read a very brief uh, portion of Roger Ebert's three and a half out of four star review. He said, imagine E.T. as a towering metal man and you have some of the appeal of the Iron Giant. The giant crash lands in 57, on a night in 1957 when America is peering up at the speck of Sputnik in the sky and munches his way through a main village eating TV antennas and cars until he finds a power plant. This is the Iron Giant, although it sounds like Sputnik is doing this. Uh, that's where young Hogarth Hughes finds him. It must be tough to get a movie like this made. Disney has a traditional animation market locked up, but other studios seem willing to throw money at Disney musical lookalikes, even though they might have a better chance moving in the opposite direction towards real stories told straight. The Iron Giant, based on a book by the recently deceased British poet laureate Ted Hughes, is not just a cute romp, but an involving story that has something to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I guess my question ultimately to you guys is, as I watched this film, I was, I was very... Um, emotionally involved in it I, I think that it's it's beautifully made um i understand why people love it and yet at the same time i can't totally say um that i that i don't understand why it failed in 99 like i i get why this movie didn't do well i under, i mean it wasn't marketed it was kind of dumped in august uh warner brothers really didn't and i mean we might argue still might not kind of totally have its animation in check um so it, yeah it's 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 a it's a a noble failure i guess on a box office level wasn't didn't it come out like one of the great release weekends of all time like wasn't that it was six yeah. cents and it was like uh mystery man which is not my favorite film uh wasn't like didn't like dick come out that weekend too like it's just a nuts weekend for new release it was it was i i believe that i mean movies that were above it but let me find out what actually um that's a very good uh, question thomas that's crown affair I which i know kenny dislikes but uh libby and i just yeah. not a good movie okay but <laughs> i mean we have a whole episode of where, where i tried to fight for its honor and what? was just you know yelled at by hunter and stacy and kenny um the iron giant i'm looking up the weekend uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Dick did also come out. Came out uh, the same weekend. Good weekend. Good weekend for new releases. Like, yeah. He also had Runaway Bride, Deep Blue Sea. Mm. They were all American Pie. All this stuff is like in the, it, it's, you know, it's the heat of, I mean, the yeah. summer. 
And this movie just, I mean, I, Brad Bird has been pretty open about it, talking about how he felt like the film was, was not marketed well, uh, that, you know, he felt like they dumped it, um, you know, that they how, didn't. How would you have marketed this film? I, I think that, yeah, I, 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 I read it over and over again that, that Brad Bird thinks this was poorly marketed. But this, um, yeah. this, was, a, this was a movie that, that just didn't seem to hit with the public. I, I, I like I read that you know they were they really wanted the Cinemascope logo on the Iron Giant um, poster and they couldn't get that. The Cinemascope logo would not have brought in one more person. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, yeah. I I appreciate that you know he feels like he had no um, control whatsoever, but that often is the case for first time filmmakers and it almost always is the case for animated I think well I mean uh, I I think we can talk about this in a second I think some of that is what Brad Bird's position was within the industry at this point where this was his first film but it felt like it was his seventh you know like because of all that he had worked like on stuff that was supposed to happen that was blah 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 Uh, but I think yes I think this is a very hard film to market um, I think though you could have just ripped off the ET campaign wholesale, and like that probably would have worked. I also think it's not a good August movie. I think it's an October movie, and like if it had come out yeah, in early October, it would have made twenty million more dollars. Like I don't know, it would have been a hit, but it might have made back its budget. I think also one of Brad's complaints, and and by the way, like. <laughs> I think we can all safely say that Brad Bird doesn't really hold his tongue, it seems, oh, uh, when it comes to really anything. I have interviewed Brad Bird, um, and he holds his tongue when you ask him if he's an objectivist. <laughs> fair, fair point. One of his other beefs, I think, was a run-up issue, which is that he felt like it really only got about four weeks of marketing, mm-hmm. um, and he felt that you know, had there been a teaser, had there been sort of like a run-up to it in some way perhaps it might have done better. And you might not be wrong. I don't know about that. But I think your point is is totally fair, Emily, that this movie should not have been released in August. Um, it's a symptom of just Warner Brothers just really not knowing what to do with it. Um, and this is also, you know, August when August was, I don't want to say a dumping ground, but like it wasn't. It was, it was. Yeah. Um, I do think that uh, apparently this is a thing I read on Wikipedia. Apparently they had a Burger King campaign all lined up and then Warner Brothers backed out at the last minute and was like, no, we're not going to do the bur-. And like, I don't know that would have helped, but it couldn't have hurt. Yeah, I just, this is, I feel like I grew up anyway with sort of a whole bunch of animated movies that were always trying to get into Disney's space, right? I mean, it was, I mean, the Don Bluth films or or what have you. Um, And now we have sort of DreamWorks animation to some degree, and there are others. But like, this felt like a movie that as a kid would have felt like a quote unquote knockoff. And just wouldn't have wouldn't have sort of appealed to me necessarily. So I just wonder if this movie is. I also think this movie is perhaps too smart for its own good at times. I think that it's 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 juggling tone. I think pretty adroitly, but at the same time, I can understand why a kid. I think it's interesting that, that Kenny, like for instance, that 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 um, that your son was, you know, at three, as engaged with this as he was. Um, do you have an idea as to why you think that is? Yeah, he he loved the giant. He loved the giant robot, and I actually don't think that's silly, right? That 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 it, that exists in part because it is such a child fa- fascination sure. character. I think that it's it's very in, in, 
very, you know, like astutely designed to appeal to children. Um, I just think that I, I, I don't know. This really gets me into the whole Brad Bird thing because I can't help but feel like he's complain. He complains a lot um, about his position within the industry. Uh, when I am, I feel like I get it. He worked very hard and is very talented, but he wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to make these movies that are, and I loved the Iron Giant. So this is not really about the Iron Giant, but are these are are these different kinds of films, right? That are not like Disney movies. They're adult animation, plays on a more intelligent level, almost as much for the parents that as it is for the kids, not in that Pixar way. In that really like this is aimed directly towards people who are thinking about, you know, socioeconomics and global positioning and things like that. Um, while also saying we should have had our Burger King campaign and we should have had our marketing directed towards children. What I agree with you, Phil, I remember when this came out, this, this was the, the second of three Warner Brothers animation movies in three consecutive years. The first was Quest for Camelot, which was a Disney ripoff. The third was Osmosis Jones, which was, you know, a, a to me, a very typical attempt to, to deviate from Disney. And the middle one was this, that just did feel like, a knockoff apropos of nothing. So if you want to make these movies that are like this, then he's very lucky that John Lasseter was his college friend. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I just, it, it just, it boggles my mind that somebody whose position is essentially my genius should be heard. My genius should be unfettered was able to, was able to only make his giant movies in part because he had a friend who was the most powerful man in animation. And like, good for him. I, I don't mean to begrudge that, but I yeah. do think this is a real check your privilege Look moment. Look at I'd the like white a- man sticking up for nepotism. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> is, that, is that me sticking up for it? <laughs> no, no I'm not sticking up for it. Good for him. Go for it. What I'm sticking up for I'm not saying for anything. I'm 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 saying check your privilege was exactly like yeah. look at what you were able to accomplish by virtue of who you met on your yeah, freshman for sure. hall. For sure. And and to then put out a movie like Tomorrowland, which you know, and I don't mean to go like directly at your argument, Emily, but like I do read it as objectivist, whether it's objectivism sure. in terms of creative geniuses should be left alone or you know, titans of capitalism should be left alone. It's the same idea. Which is like, leave me alone because I'm special. Well, dude, the only reason anyone even like began to understand you were special was because you and Lasseter are buddies. End of story. So like, great. I'm happy we have Brad Bird's movies in this world. But like anybody else, I think would have would have made their $38 million cult movie and would have gone the way of, again, I don't mean to pander, but the way of all the female directors we saw in 1999 who made really good movies that we love and never made another movie. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think there's something to absolutely be said about this sort of, it's an esoteric movie that he felt like the world should have embraced. Um, and then was frustrated when they didn't, there, there is an element of entitlement for sure to what Brad Bird is talking about for sure. Um, but I, you know, I, as I was watching this film, one of the one of the filmmakers that came to mind that I was Miyazaki. Um, this this movie has a kind of almost a Totoro kind of vibe to it in terms of the the relationship mm-hmm. between. Uh, uh, 
Oh my God, Hogarth, 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 Hogarth. Uh, and uh, and the Iron Giant. Um, it's 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 trying to do a lot of things. I think it's doing them relatively successfully. But again, I come back to sort of what were you expecting? What did you think the world was going to do with this movie through a studio right. that hadn't? You know what I mean? It's just it's 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 a little bizarre in that respect. I, I think that he, I mean, and by he, I mean Brad Bird had the best of intentions in terms of what he's trying to say with this movie, I think in a lot of ways. I mean, I was reading this interview where he said that he was inspired to make this movie as a memorial to his sister, Susan, who died at the hands of her husband by gun violence. His pitch was what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun is what Mm -hmm. he said. Um, I take from that what you what you want. I think that I do think that the message of this movie is a is a nonviolent message that 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 violence doesn't solve anything, um, which is obviously a good message. Um, but it's it gets a little muddled along the way. I think I uh, remember I when this the movie the weekend this movie came out. I was very excited to see it, and I pitched it to my dad as a movie about a gun who doesn't want to be a gun. And he said, in true Hank Hill fashion, "What the hell?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we went. So we went and saw the Sixth Sense instead. I had a great time. I had a great time. Good movie, The Sixth Sense. Really good movie. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. We like it. Yeah. yeah um, right. I uh, <laughs> I do. You know what? I do think. I think Brad Bird is insufferable. Like the way that he's like, oh, you should recognize my gene. But at the same time, he spent basically the entire 80s being told by the Disney factory, you are the heir apparent. You are the next big guy. And then like they they um, basically kept like stepping on him. And I get why he has a chip on his shoulder about that. Um, and then he kind of had to work his way up through like an alternate channel. And um uh, and that you know ended up being the best for his career, but yeah, like it. I get why he has this chip on his shoulder against the entire industry. Um, I also think that like when you take it within the larger context of he's a white man in Hollywood who had powerful friends, which is you know the way that deals got done in Hollywood and still get done in Hollywood, uh, prim- you know predominantly. Um, that is that makes it harder for other people to take him seriously. From his point of view, I get it. From everybody's point of view, I don't. I also couldn't help but feel like watching this film that you really could feel his live action aspirations. Mm -hmm. The way that it's shot, you know, I put shot in quotation marks sort of, but you know what I'm sort of getting at. The the, the shot compositions, there's there's a, perhaps maybe it wasn't so much that he wanted to do live action, but that he wanted to, push animation farther it's, I guess is perhaps the better way of putting it it is gorgeous yeah. um it is that first shot when you see the giant in the rain it is spectacular yeah. like i yeah. in, in in a very miyazaki way it doesn't feel like anything else i had ever seen before and i really appreciated that you know i i do think that um all love to don bluth but i think a lot of his movies are kind of hard to look at um, I think that particular style, in particular, over and over and over, uh, is is trying on the eyeballs and for me the stomach. But uh, to see, you know, to to be out of that Libby, classic. Do you have thoughts on this? How dare Libby's just shaking How her head. In How dare you? <laughs> I, there, How dare you besmirch Don? Bluth? No, it, I liked I liked Don Bluth movies quite a bit, but um, I just there. I don't know the the lesser ones. The the kind of crude animation really does get to me. Uh, uh, it's important to let you know that Libby's favorite film of all time is The Pebble and the Penguin, um, and Don Bluth is her uh, is her uh, best friend. 
No. That's your best friend. <laughs> I was going to dispute that, but then also, what? Why yes, would uh, I do that? What a weird <laughs> accusation to lob at someone. <laughs> so you don't deny it. I don't. No, I would never. I mean, I, I can say that as a kid, An American Tale was one of my favorite movies. I love American Tale. Oh, when, I love when, when Don Bluth oh, had, yeah. had Spielberg's backing. Like then, he, he yeah. had the yeah. actual money to make his movies. He was pretty good, but then, yeah, yes, he, yes. he was. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I would, and I, I even, I'm, I'm even into like All Dogs Go to Heaven, and then after that, it's like, fuck this shit, I don't need it. <laughs> well, what's interesting <laughs> you know, about Don Bluth? Like so you know, what's interesting about Don Bluth? Friends anymore? And yeah, I don't want to talk. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that. Get out of my treehouse. Uh, when, when the interesting thing about Don Bluth and Brad Bird is they both were kind of kicked out or or Peter principled out of the Disney factory, and yet I would argue that they are outside of maybe John Lasseter the two biggest names in terms of auteur. Uh, it's authorship in American animation. Now, I understand that if you're a little more, you know, if you're if you dig, dig a little deeper, I know Blank Check's about to do their Musker and Clements um, miniseries. That is I don't speculated. Think that is not confirmed. It's speculated. It is speculated. But David it's is watching. Online. David is it's watching not... a bunch of Musker and Clements movies. So, <laughs> which which well, and they did I, reference it in their Wonder Woman episode for the record too. So. Musker and Musker and Clemens. I don't think uh, even even people who go to the movies a lot understand what they did. Um, so I I think that you know Brad Bird, even though he's only made six films and only four animated films, is probably the the preeminent American animation director working today. Even in a world where Pete Doctor puts out Soul, and every article is now like, here's the guy who did Soul. It's Pete Doctor. Yeah. He's done. 12 great movies or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I, it's interesting how being away from Disney actually, you know, kind of raised up both of their you stars. Are, you're making me think about this in terms of generational warfare uh, because <laughs> I just realized, uh, I just realized Don Bluth, Brad Bird, John Lasseter, Tim Burton, four filmmakers who were sort of drummed out of Disney because they couldn't get past. There's this old guard of animators and they will not put any of these young guys up at their ranks and are continuing to make them do, you know, small scale character animation or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have, uh, you know, the people who stay within the system are like the Glenn Keens and folks like that who do work their way up and become like, you know, preeminent animators within Disney. But these guys all break off. They all have amazing careers. People have heard of their names. And now they're kind of this like old guard who won't get out of the way of like up and coming filmmakers yeah. who have to find alternate paths to get their stuff made because, you know, uh, Brad Bird can be like, give me 200 million. I want to make an incredible sequel. And Pixar will do that in a second, but they increasingly like it's taken them this long to take a chance on. They have all these amazing shorts directors and it took them this long mm -hmm. to give a bunch of those people, you know, their own feature length projects. You, and usually, usually co-directed first, right? Usually you have to have one of the old guys, you know, kind of work there with you. And even now, I think, I mean, the, I, 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 this is embarrassing. I don't know the guy who co-directed Co Coco. What's his name? Uh, Rivera? Mm -hmm. Jonas Rivera? Uh, something like that. Um, and like... Um, so, so there you go. Yeah, like Dor 
or Kemp Pow. Yeah, like yeah. Dory Dory Shit, I believe is her name, who directed Bao and like this hugely acclaimed short. I think it won the Oscar. Don't check yeah. me on that. She's she, getting a yeah, movie she's now, finally right? Gotten like, a movie, and it's like, yeah, it's great because it's so hard for um, Asian American women to get animation directing jobs, but also. Why are we saying it's great when her movie won't come out until 2023? And Asian American women have existed a long time, you know? Like, it's, yeah. Long before 2023. Long before 2023. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I think they exist right now. I mean, I've seen I, them. <laughs> I, I don't want to I don't, I don't put anything false out there, but definitely before yeah, I don't want to speculate. 2023. I am, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't quite understand. I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to get political, but I, there is a part of me that feels like it's in politics too. The, the old guard, the mm-hmm. new guard, this idea of like letting oh, it's stuff in every industry. go. It's fucking the brutal. boomers. The, this is what we talked the about boomers yesterday. Will not let go of their control. And that basically locked Gen X out of positions of power like Gen. And now the millennials mm-hmm. are getting locked out of positions of power because the baby boomers grew up at a time when they were rich enough to accrue the wealth that will let them live forever. And this is what vampires stories are about mm-hmm. <laughs> i agree it's, yeah. it's, it's remarkable that oh sorry libby we should kill no, the, the boomers well, right is no, that no, we almost have to because it's remarkable that we we haven't and may never and i've said this on the before have a gen x president it may not happen like they because clinton was clinton was the first boomer president and then the subsequent four presidents, or five now, including Biden, all boomers. Really Biden's older than next, boomers. Like, Biden is, like, the generation. Of, he's yeah. the greatest generation. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, th- I, I, I believe. I, oh, my God, I'm so sad. I believe <laughs> if, I believe, like, if, if, Com- <laughs> We're going I believe Kamala Harris becomes president through whatever. I think a lot of people say she's Gen X. I believe her birth date is technically early Gen X. So there you go, Gen Xers. We might be able to squeak in a Gen X. <laughs> but if she, but, but if somehow, for instance, yeah. Pete Buttigieg becomes president, we have skipped the whole generation. It's same, over. Yeah, same with, if yeah, AOC, AOC becomes yeah. president, it's yeah. over. If John Ossoff becomes president, it's over. We skipped the whole generation. Now, so, if Zendaya becomes president, that's going to be great. We'll have skipped two generations, that's, right? that's going to be great. Yeah. She is fantastic. Yeah. Everyone loves Zendaya. Those are She's the generations I, I would skip. I would happily skip Gen X. I mean, I have, you know, these people, these people laid over. These yeah, people Kenny's laid over, laid dead, and let the boomers yep, stomp yep, on them. Yep. It's as a, as an, are they the laziest generation? Are they the laziest generation? They're the caring. I've, I've said this before. They're the caring is creepy generation. Yep. And when you've decided that it's creepy to give a shit, and you've let yep. that you've let that become a pervasive thought throughout this entire generation up until like the mid two thousands, and then you realize, oh shit, we should have cared before a guy like Donald Trump becomes president. Go away. As, you lost your shot. As an elder, as an elder millennial, um, I totally agree. Me too. I I absolutely agree. <laughs> Phil, what year were you born? I was born uh, January eighth, nineteen. Okay, so you just get in under the wire. You, you just made it. You're you're just eight days it. in. Our, hi, Mr. <laughs> Millennial. <laughs> my my wife is November seventy uh, nine. So um, I know I'm trying to save her. Yeah, I know she's. It's like ah. <laughs> okay, so Biden is yeah. silent generation. 
silent generation. Silent. That's that's what that's between called? greatest and boomers. It's called the Silent yeah, Generation slash Lucky Few. Yeah, because they were like, are they Silent Generation? Sounds they were like another Gen X. They were just kind of like, we didn't make a big mark on the culture. Good for us. <laughs> they're no, like, they so I, I would imagine <laughs> if you fought, if you fought in World War II, you are greatest. Right? If you're old enough to fight in World yeah. War II, if you are old enough to have been born because a World War II soldier fucked his wife when he got home, then you're the baby boomer. <laughs> But if you're somehow in so the middle in that, because people kept having babies in between those things, silent. Weirdly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> weirdly. So so HW is silent, is greatest, and Reagan is greatest, and Carter yep. is greatest. Mm-hmm. But uh but by the they got one. So maybe we will get our maybe we fuck fuck fuck. <laughs> maybe the Gen Xers will get there first in 30 years. <laughs> or maybe or maybe or maybe they or maybe they will be the food that the baby boomers eat when they're in their hundred and twenties. <laughs> So anyway, that's the soylent, the soylent green we drink. <laughs> but back to the robot. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to just give a couple little, uh, little pieces of uh, backstory. Or, I'm or context, sorry, I, guess, I cannot way. imagine a bunch of eighty-year-olds in a nursing home. I'm just be like, we got one finally. It <laughs> happened. <laughs> Kenny. We did it! I love that! <laughs> it's we our time! <laughs> oh my god! Oh, man. Oh, well, speaking of old people, uh, <laughs> Sean Connery and James Earl Jones were both considered for the role of the Iron Giant, for what that's worth. Neither of which would have been right for this. Um, speaking of the, gener- the greatest generation as well, the art of uh, Norman Rockwell and uh, Edward Hooper were the inspiration for the design of this film, which you can very what? much see. Surprising. Said. You yeah. know what's interesting? All yeah. the adults of this movie, silent generation. <laughs> right? Correct. All but the voiced adults by movie. Gen Xers. Well, uh, yeah. Hogarth is baby boomer. Correct. But all the adults are silent. And it, there might be something there about a about about be, coming of age between World War One and World War Two, having parents who, who went to war and then being too old for the next or too young for the next war, uh, and wanting your own war. And I think that maybe the Cold War speaks to that. To some I think that's kind of what's happening right now as well. I feel like yeah, I, think, I feel like every uh, generation is like uh, there is this thing that's bred into us. It's like oh, you got to have a war. And like millennials and Gen Z have been like, um, do we have to? Can we like do this? Ex- can we, we fight the existential threat yes. to the planet instead? And, yeah. and everyone's like, yeah. no, we got to fight some fucking wars. We didn't get to do it like our parents did. We have to prove ourselves. They're fighting wars on Twitter. Yeah. They're definitely doing Fuck that. Fuck it. We'll do it civil. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah. that I think there is something to that. Like, I remember growing up in the 90s, uh, the idea of ever going to war was uh, so far from my from my mind. You know, I didn't even think it was a possibility that the United States would get in kind of a global conflict, maybe a skirmish. I mean, the idea in 1991 or 1990, 1991 or 1992, when a uh, Persian Gulf War started, that was a, that was a war that lasted less than two months. And that, that was something that, that, that took over the entire national consciousness for that point, that period of time. Right. I think that war lasted 40 something days. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And and that was everything. The Persian Gulf War. We've been at war with Afghanistan now for twenty years. Yeah. Um, and I do think there is something to this idea of there are there's a large segment of this population that wants to be at war at all times. And like Libby said, uh, if there isn't an obvious enemy that America is willing to send its troops to fight, maybe we'll just do it civil. What I think is really interesting about Brad Bird is his values that he espouses within his films are incredibly progressive, except when it comes to him. And when it comes to him, everyone should just like make him the boss. And he's great. Move yeah. out of the way. Yeah, it's literally, it is just like, it is literally the baby boomer conundrum because Brad Bird is a baby boomer. I looked this up. It is the baby boomer conundrum in a nutshell. He's like, you know what? We should make the world a better place, but also making the world a better place involves giving me all the power. Well, that's, that's also what Trump thinks, by the way, Trump really does. I think in his heart, believe like if you just let me make all the decisions, it's all going to work out for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Clinton kind of believed that too. So I, I, I think you're totally right, Emily. I think I never really considered that, but yeah. Um, so what do we do with people like that? I mean, we can well, so we encourage I them mean, to retire and uh, yeah, vote them out of office. I guess age I discrimination. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> why break something? Why fix something that's not broken? Just push them out. Yeah, I, 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 I do think that that. This film has an interesting. There's something about the the John Mahoney character, who, by the way, John Mahoney should just have done way more voice work. He's got great such voice. a great voice. Just a voice great in voice. that guy. His his general character sees the error of his ways at the end of the film and is like, "Yeah, no. What what are you doing? You're gonna get us all killed." Um, I can't help but wonder whether or not, like, I just I, this film just doesn't feel particularly militarized it just it doesn't it doesn't seem all that interested in saying much more than just like we should war is bad which is fine it's pretty um, it's but, pretty critical of the u.s military industrial complex honestly yeah it is. and like that's weird that's rare for a kid's film yeah and it's it's you know i don't i mean we don't know what brad bird's politics are but they seem very um i don't know blurry it's just hard to kind of pin down this this movie obviously is clearly saying you know war is bad but but i i can't really tell you what the incredibles is saying necessarily i'm not convinced that that i i think that's kind of where i i came down on incredible so when i watched it i started, I remember seeing it in the theater i think it came out oh yeah. three five something like that oh six i think oh, it was oh, four, four. Actually. yeah so, it, I, it came so out the weekend the after theater. george w bush was reelected. so Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I, I do because I I was here in LA. I saw it actually in like on Hollywood Boulevard in like the Egyptian or something. Like very big into Pixar at that point. Very excited for the movie. Liked it very much. I mean, you know, it's not that it's a bad movie. I think it's a really sure, kind sure. of deli- delightful movie. Watched it again with my kids, and uh, it's not really appropriate for kids, like young kids. It's an extremely no. violent movie, and it also yep. is to me. It felt like. Within the context of the movie, and we can talk about how this plays out, you know, philosophically, but within the context of the movie, it does seem like violence is the answer, right? You know, these people are super because they have the ability to inflict violence on people yeah. who are not super or, or, or less than. And, you know, fortunately, they're of good moral fiber, I guess. But, you know, that really gets into like, I don't know, the... the the core of capitalism, right? Like the core of capitalism is 
is fear through violence, th- fear through threat of violence, keeping people in line through violence. Um, and it, it makes me a little uncomfortable that someone who in their first movie may, had kind of such a beautiful nonviolent argument plays into it in his second movie with like, all right, so I guess if the world's a violent place, we've just better hope that like our guns have consciences, conscious, consciences. Does that feel yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly I agree with you that that the Incredibles. There's a scene in the Incredibles that that is really quite haunting and actually does really stay with me. Uh, it's the scene with Elastigirl and the kids on the island, and she says, "They will kill you." Like mm-hmm. this idea that, like, um, you know, this is children are legit. a danger. There's a real yeah. danger here, which is not something that you see in a kids film. It's why I believe the Incredibles is PG, if I'm not mistaken. It's not G, correct? It is PG. Yeah, it was their first PG movie. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot going on. Uh, the Incredibles is like a commentary on comic books and spy movies and, and you know, parenting. And, and it's, it's doing a lot of stuff that I, I can't totally say that its, that its message is necessarily like kill or be killed. But I do understand where you're coming from. Um. I I really uh I mean I do really love Incredibles. I do think I think Incredibles 2 while it's not as good as the first film, it's very interesting in this because it's very fascinated by It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today I, it's very fascinating by these things that 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 Kenny is pointing out, like the divide between pacifism, but also the idea that like you can never entirely prepare for the fact that there are bad people who want to do terrible things, and like, to, but right. to some degree, preparing for them like makes the situation worse and escalation drives and like, honestly, <clears throat> yeah. Um- so in terms of like the, the the plot of the Iron Giant, I mean, ultimately, there's not a ton of plot, really. Um, but there's a couple of things that I'd like to sort of zoom in on just in terms of like the, the kind of big moments, if you will, or ideas. I mean, as Kenny mentioned, the first time that that uh, Hogarth meets the giant in the woods is is such an arresting, beautiful thing. I can't help. There's a lot of E.T. in this. Like, I just couldn't help but see a fair amount of E.T. just in terms of their relationship, him teaching the giant, the way that they kind of... There, um, there are three, three major kind of obvious inspirations yeah. to me. It was E.T., it was Frankenstein, it was King Kong. Sure, and it sure. felt like, you know, it really lived within that, you know, the middle of the Venn diagram between those three movies. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. I mean, like the, the scene where Hogarth is showing the giant the comic books is feels to me as almost exactly the E.T. Mm-hmm. scene in his bedroom when he's showing him the various toys. So like there is that. Um, <clears throat> I will say that that this film does something that I mean, and I'm, I'm certainly not ragging on E.T., which might very well be my favorite film. But I uh, this film, the scene where with the deer and so they they see a deer in the woods um, the giant has like a, a sort of tender moment with the deer, if you will. Bunch of hunters kill the deer. Uh, and then Hogarth has to explain to the giant what death is, basically. Um, and uh, there's a scene in the special edition that's not in the theatrical cut of this film where the giant has a dream slash nightmare where you really get a sense of the existential sort of push and pull that's going on inside the giant's head as he struggles with the fact that he is a killing machine or that he was built for, in theory, built for uh, destruction. Um, I, I think it's crazy that that scene is not in the theatrical cut. It goes, it, it really does add, it's, first of all, it's a beautifully animated sequence, but it just gives you a whole new dimension into the struggle that the giant is going through. They didn't um, animate it until yeah. 2014. Like they, they didn't animate right, it until right. they released that Blu-ray. Yeah. Like before that, right. it was only storyboards. Right. Which I think is kind of, I mean, listen, you get it. It's not as though you don't get it, but you don't get it deeper into the film when, in my opinion, it's, which is the moment when his eyes go red and he, quite frankly, almost kills Hogarth and like, and, mm-hmm. and Dean turns on him and says like, what the fuck are you doing? But like, it teased that up so that emotionally it doesn't feel so jarring. I, it felt a little jarring to me when it happened in the in the uh, theatrical. The, but I don't know what you guys thought. The the other scene that they uh, cut was a like a conversation between um, Dean and Annie, the mom, um, where it's clear they're into each other, and like that would have helped a lot too. Oh, yeah. so you yeah. so there was a scene that. Uh, actually had them having a conversation before they got yeah, yeah 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 correct yeah oh, apparently okay. apparently well, I mean, like uh, apparently uh, that's apparently not realistic women have conversations <laughs> before they sleep together yeah well that's here's crazy. i mean this is this is the this is the problem this is my problem with the iron giant which is a lovely little film it's that it should have been 45 minutes long or two hours long um yeah it, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. needed to for me for it to work better, it needed to just be Hogarth and the giant. And then, you know, then the military finds out and comes in. I don't, I don't need all of this yep. other world building stuff because it feels like it's just kind of running in place. So we have a feature length mm-hmm. film. Um, yep. And then, yeah, because I felt that way too, because the adjustment to um, the giant, you know, realizing it, it feels because I, I wasn't aware of that uh, missing scene, missing scene is that it, it seems so abrupt when he's like, Oh, JK, I'm a killing machine. Um, <laughs> because I, like it, it, it didn't make sense. And at one point I, I turned to Emily and I was like, listen, this isn't a criticism, but this, uh, this giant's picking up English pretty quickly. Like, I just like <laughs> either there's room to like, kind of, you know, walk through that more and, or you need to just keep it streamlined and keep those emotional beats. Um, I realize that's not really an option. There's not really an outfit, outlet for a, a 45 
minute film though though emily put it like if we were still living in the age where you know we did animated tv specials um that that is likely where this could have thrived but it wouldn't have as much of the like special messaging that that brad bird it wouldn't be it also would not have as visually impressive a presentation you know of course and 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 i i recognize that as far as expenditures go Uh, the thing that gets me and that I realize the thing that always gets me is, you know, anthropomorphizing an inanimate object, not with features of a human, but features of like a dog. Um, like, cause that will kill me. I, I care about animals way more than I care about people. So that deer scene fucking ruined me. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I like, I don't, I don't know. Like this was always going to be very, emotional for me i get very attached to things like this like don't even get me started on teddy the super i was gonna ask if you wanted to talk about teddy the super toy i don't want i don't want teddy's fantastic teddy's fantastic i um can i i was the the other film that 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 also kind of hit me that i was thinking about a lot as i was watching this was t2 Mm, okay (laughs) Um, the, the relationship yeah. between, obviously between, uh, the Terminator and, and, uh, and John Connor, um, especially when it came to the end, when he's sort of talking to him about like, you don't have to kill, you don't have to do this. Um, I, I thought that that, uh, resonated with me as well in the sense of, I don't know, I, I, <laughs> it, it there's just kind of a lot of like nature versus nurture in this and like nature versus technology. And uh, it, it's all kind of dealing with a lot of heady issues. And, and to your point, Libby, I, I did feel like I wanted like 20 more minutes. And as for, uh, I, I, with regards to like being complimentary of the film, like Hogarth's explanation of like a soul was so yeah. like, sweet and succinct like I, I I could never have come up with that and and it felt it like I found it really moving and like yeah. no you think about things so you you have a soul like what, what, what a lovely yep. what a lovely little summation of of um kind of mortality and and what it means to be I mean humane what I just yes, what sorry, I think people struggle with in Brad Bird's movies is he is very interested in the idea of if something is nature or nurture, but actually it's both. If something is, you know, nature or technology, but actually it's both. He's interested in the complexity of human life. He's filled them to a very traditional movie, three sure We are expecting to encounter to encounter relative for children, which is fine. I don't ride that down that's that's a good need to do moral instruction for kids but he's complexity Miyazaki within you're getting okay we, we, sorry you were, I, you were breaking I, we, up a little bit there yeah. but we got it on your set i would imagine right i'll repeat it yeah. um because okay i'll just repeat it mm-hmm. um i think it was bad bird Dude, you're still breaking it's, up. it's it's the uh, it it's the mic Did your mic switch i don't know if it let me check uh, same. Fuck. A second. I don't know, man. Give me a second. I don't know what's going on. Give me a second. Okay. How am I doing? Okay. Not great. You're doing, doing a little better. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing a little better. No. Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, well, but uh, I, 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 I time recording, so at the very least, maybe. Well, let's. Um, 
It's not too much about podcasting. I'm sorry. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Let me switch microphones. Okay. Let me switch microphones. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, let's switch microphones. We're, we're almost done, guys. There we go. Oh, no. All right. like, it's, oh, yeah. I just great, didn't want to great. delay you guys no. more. No, no, no not no. at all. Um, delay me from what? Uh, uh, um, so you sound, you sound great now. Well, yeah, now I'm ahead. on the internal Wait. microphone. Um, great. So one of the things that I think is people struggle with in Brad Bird's films is that the complexity of things he's uh, doing, he's saying, is it nature? Is it nurture? No, it's both. Is it technology? Is it nature? No, it's both. You know, like he is interested in the complexity of human experience, but within a format and within a genre that we traditionally expect, like, like sort of basic, simple moral instruction for children. He's filtering it through a three act animated American structure Whereas someone like Miyazaki is telling stories that are more elliptical. So we're a little bit more like, uh, I was trying to figure out why Totoro just nails everything. And I think Iron Giant is a fantastic film that falls just a hair short for me. Like I think Ebert's three and a half out of four is exactly right. Um, And it's because Totoro doesn't feel the need to offer like ultimately explanations. It doesn't feel the need to wrap everything up like this movie does. I think the last 15 minutes of this movie are perfect except for the scene where everyone's like we miss the iron giant you know like well it's it's also you know on the miyazaki they didn't animate the dream mm-hmm. scene like to me miyazaki one of his beautiful attributes is how sort of dreamlike and 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 sort of intangible his movies are they're they're an emotional experience and he's just trying to sort of pull you through uh you know ideas and images and, and whatever that resonates for you. Understandably, Warner Brothers, being Warner Brothers, was not interested in something that sort of, you know, esoteric, quite frankly. So this dream sequence that would have gone a long way towards, I think, everything that we're talking about here is, is excised from the film, uh, speaks volumes. But Libby, you looked like you wanted to say something. Oh, Sorry, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. Uh, the Miyazaki, specifically Totoro, is, is so much less about moralizing and, and more about that... Uh, holistic uh, storytelling that just holistic like experiential like let me take you into this world you know it's bringing you somewhere um and it's not uh, I don't know it's bringing you somewhere as opposed to taking you somewhere like if that makes any sense like it's not a guided tour it's a a transformation Uh, like um so yeah, you're talking about Miyazaki. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. You guys are all kind of hitting on things that I, 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 I feel like I was left a little cold with this film. I didn't cry at the end. I kind of wanted to. It didn't really happen for me. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of what we're talking about are things that have been explored. I mean, I mentioned three movies that are, you know, classics. You mentioned another movie, Phil, that's a classic. These are movies that have been explored in mass or or ideas that have been explored in in the biggest movies in mass entertainment. And I don't think this movie goes a step further with with one exception. And that's what Libby mentioned earlier. It was the idea of the soul and the idea of going further. But it lasted for one beat. Like there is an idea there and Phil, the dream sequence would have, would have spoken to this as well. There is an idea there. It has nothing to do with, you know, 
what the giant is or where he came from or anything like that. It's just the idea, and this is something that I felt very strongly about for a long time, that something is animating you that has nothing to do with things that we can understand, right? Whether it is inside you or it's outside, I, I don't know, but it's very clear to me, you know, again, I'm not to upset Libby, but like, or anybody on the podcast, but when we put our dog down and I saw that, that change, that's when it started to become clear to me that there's something that is happening that is, has nothing to do with things that we can understand. So I, I have given up any idea of trying to figure this stuff out. What I like is the, the explanation of there is something there. We call it your soul. And, we're go, and, and you have one and I have one. And it's very clear to me you have one. That's exciting to me as a, as a viewer. And that's something that, you know, for instance, Soul, the movie that just came out, got up inside of that really was, was, was quite exciting. Part of why I loved Inside Out, which I think is also kind of about that, kind of trying to really understand what it is inside of you that makes you you, because it has nothing to do with, you know, your bones and your skin and all that stuff. Right. So, and that's all stuff that I feel like Miyazaki explores in every one of them. Constantly. Um, constantly. I think as much as I like Inside Out, I haven't seen Soul yet, but as much as I like Inside Out, there is an element to that of the Pixar. We have to label everything and we have to explain everything that yes. is extremely mm-hmm. American. That increasingly drives me nuts the older I get. Where it's I... like, Go ahead, Libby. No, 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 please. I interrupted you. No, I, I was done. Go ahead. I, I the, the thing about, uh, let me bring not even a contrary view to Inside Out. Um, as someone very similar uh, to that little girl, I have so many emotions all the time. Like, I, I don't know, I, I cried for like 30 minutes after the Iron Giant, about the Iron Giant, but also about everything else. Sure. But my emotions feel so big, so out of control, feels like they control me. And for the longest time, the difficulty that I had was identifying which emotion was which. Like, it would all get jumbled up inside. So I think, like, we're like, oh, we, we you know, we don't want to label these things. But some kids do. Some kids need to rec- some kids, some kids need the help recognizing, you know, oh, this is mad or this is mad and sad. You know, so I, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. It is very American to want to put a label on everything, but um, there are instances and, and I consider inside out one of those incidents instances where, you know, that is, that is a necessary, like for some people that is, uh, that, that is instrumental and, and, and is very, it's part of what, what moved me so much about about that. I felt very strongly about that movie too, for a lot of the same reasons and not necessarily because it was right, Mm -hmm. but more because it was an argument that I hadn't heard. One of the, right. Or more because it was, it was an idea that I hadn't heard before in an interesting place to start this discussion with children in particular about what's going on inside of your brain and your heart and your emotions. Um, It really, I mean, it really worked for me. I mean, I was an adult and I had children at the time and yet, it really was the first time I really started to understand and accept the role of sadness in my life and the value it has. Um, before then, I really, truly tried to push it down. So I think it's, it's Inside Out goes a lot further than like than even these movies for me. Like the Inside Out's like a, a very important special movie to me. Oh my God, me too. Kenny, for me, it was like anger. I was like, what? what is the use of anger? Like, why should I feel that? I shouldn't feel that. It's a, it's a bad thing to feel. So I'll just bottle it all inside and... Uh, 
that doesn't work apparently. It turns out. I think it's. I mean, I, 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 I mean, not to not to pile on here, but obviously, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, as a person who you know has my own struggles with mental health and what have you, this this film felt incredibly important to to teach kids it's okay to be sad to teach kids that that it's i mean how vitally important that is that like you know with joy comes sadness and other things too like you are a whole host of emotions a whole spectrum of things um the end of that film when when riley breaks down in front of her parents is just an incredibly i found it incredibly cathartic but also just a really beautiful moment to acknowledge that that's okay it's okay to be a mess sometimes like i think that that's also not to not to make this you know, what have you, but that's also a very American thing. This idea that like, you have to always be putting on this brave face that you're always, you're not, you know, that that you can't show weakness, I think is, is I don't know if it's an American thing, but that's how I was raised. So like, you know, that, that, that's very true to me. I like how I said an extremely mild criticism of Inside Out, which was like, (laughs) I said, this is a, this is a fantastic movie, but I do feel literally it was, it was more, it was more a criticism of the American need to have a label to pin on everything than it was that film. And we did a tight 20 minutes about (laughs) three person. I'm going to let you, at least it was tight. At least I, you know, I inside out um, is the greatest Pixar movie of all time. Uh, yeah. I prefer Coco, honestly, from the last 10 years. Shut that's, up. That's I, I, I'm crazy about that movie, too. I mean, yeah, that's... I want movie. to... My, 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 we call my son Cole Coco. I, I <laughs> deeply crazy. I'm crazy about that movie because that also speaks to, like, something that I feel strongly about when it comes to death and dying. And I love... What I love about um, Coco is it leaves room for ambiguity, which Pixar has trouble with. There's, mm-hmm. like, the the characters who fade away and they're like, where do you go next? Nobody knows. I love that. Like, that is just so beautiful to me and also it's like a mystery which is just a very like unexpected genre for that movie to pop up in i want to talk about the iron giant though um the film that we are here to talk about um libby and i were talking we're watching this film and thinking about um and talking about you know why the the thing about running time and all that i looked up my neighbor totoro and that movie and this movie are exactly the same length they're both 86 yeah. minutes long. And Totoro feels like a complete masterpiece. And this feels like a terrific, just not quite masterpiece. Um, well, do you, this is a, I mean, none of us know the answer to this question, but I'm going to pause it anyway. I mean, if given his his druthers, if Brad Bird was allowed to do whatever the fuck he mm-hmm. wanted, right? Let's just assume that he didn't. Let's assume that Warner Brothers was like, do this, do this, do right. this, whatever. They cut his budget substantially. Do you think he could? Yeah, so... Right. Do you think he was that? I guess my question is: Do you think this could have been Totoro? Like, would this have been? I Totoro? think yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he would have been let if let off the chain? It would have been more sort of dreamlike and more emotional. And and, and I think so. Things. Yes. Although I don't. Know. Although this is another thing that Libby wanted to talk about a while back that we never got to. This is his first project after leaving The Simpsons, and the character animation in this is so Simpsonsy to the degree that there's yeah, stuff that yeah. is comical. That works as comical, but like I think might have held it back a little bit in terms of there's a simplicity to dreamlike animation that I don't know that he's capable of because he's too technically proficient. Um, someone like Gendy Tartakovsky, who is extremely technically pr- yeah. proficient, then strips that away to do his stuff that's a little bit more dreamlike. I don't know if Brad Bird's capable of that. Like I think, or interested yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I think that, I think what we're all kind of saying is that this film is sort of, it's bursting with a lot of ideas. It's got, it's, it has aspirations to do a lot of things. Um, I don't know that it's successful in all of them. I, I, I really love that it's taking the swings though. I mean, I know that there's little things like him, you know, not wanting the Warner Brothers logo, the, the classic Warner Brothers logo to be in front of this movie and fighting for little things to, and the, and you know, the cinemascope thing that you mentioned, Kenny, like all these things that he's trying to sort of, he wants this to be his, he wants this to be his classic animated movie. This is his hand-drawn animated film, although the Iron Giant had some CG components to it. But like, and in a weird fucked up way, he kind of got it, right? Like now he has it. This movie is is sort of, is lauded as being sort of one of the best animated films. There's a lot of people that that feel that it, it deserves to be in that canon. So he kind of got there. He just took this odd sort of securitist route. And I would argue, and if you guys get a chance, you know, afterwards, just to watch the dream sequence on YouTube, just to sort of see what that would have injected into the film, not just in terms of the the, the journey of the giant, but also just of give it, giving it a little bit more of that Miyazaki kind of uh, dreamlike component. I, I think it, 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 it did a real disservice. That giant, me. though, is my big best friend. Yeah, he's our big brave boy. Um <laughs> But if I look, I agree. At, you know, yeah, yeah. If I look at if I look at Brad Bird's, it, you know, filmography, yeah, it's not like he's traversing in those super emotionally yeah. vulnerable sort of dreamlike states very much. I don't know if he, I don't know if he could have reached, and it doesn't have to be Miyazaki, but I don't know if he has that in him. Uh, um, there is obviously the dream sequence in, or the the. Flashback and Ratatouille. That's some, yeah. That's a very Miyazaki moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I that that movie came, you know, nearly a decade later. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if the 1999 Brad Bird has that in his, you know, in his back pocket. Let, Libby, at that point. I, Libby, I'd love to hear you talk about the Simpsons influence because you kept pointing it out, and it honestly, every time you pointed it out, I was like, oh yeah, and it kind of jarred me out of the film's reality a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, it wasn't you. I it was, it was, it wasn't you. It was, it was that yeah. element within the film. I, I was trying to remember, and I should have been, I should have been taking notes, but um, I don't know. There was a moment. There was just a classic. There, there was just a classic. Simpsons joke set up like it was like punchline and someone's like really and then it comes back it, it, it was there was there was just these joke structures it's just a it was a little more slapstick than I was expecting um, Me too. the joke in the diner where he says I apologize in advance for this and then the squirrel jumps out of his mm-hmm. pants right felt a little Simpsonsy to me. Yeah. The, there was something yeah. there, there was some gag and I think it was between the 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 Carl guy, whatever, and and Hogarth, but it was like they were right. for, also like when the guy shows up and he comes back and there's a bite in his car and he goes back to the guy and they come back yeah. and the car's gone. Um, yeah. Also, how is that Iron Giant so loud sometimes and so quiet other times? It doesn't make any sense and the continuity really, really. He's our me. big brave boy, and he can be quiet when he needs to. 
Um, I actually he is our big. I, I know exactly. Is I know exactly what you're talking about. Hogarth and Kent are showing down, showing off, showing down across, having a showdown. There we go, having right. a showdown across the hallway from each other. And Hogarth backs up into his bed, and Kent sits down, and they stare daggers at each other. Homer and Bart all the way. Homer and Bart, like just right down. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also so there's there were two lines in this film that I feel um, really kind of got me in the in the heartstrings. Um, one of them is the Superman, you know, at the end when he's it, like it, it's it's a beautiful moment. Him saying th- this is also sort of like I'm sorry, Libby. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, it's is it's the it's no surprise that Vin Diesel is Groot, okay? <laughs> because like there's something about the one word, very short, terse sentences with this voice that has this power that I can't completely uh, articulate why. But uh, there's the, the line that really, really got me is when the giant almost kills Hogarth and he says, I am not a gun. And it's just like, ooh, like I, I mean, honestly, it kind of gets me right now just to say it. Um, that the power of that stuff in this film is just really, really impressive. Um, I've been thinking a lot about why this movie's reputation is the way it is, and I think it's because yes, it's a beautiful film, and I don't want to denigrate anyone who loves this film because I think there is so much to love here, and if you can get on its wavelength. It is absolutely fantastic. And even if you can't get on its wavelength, it is still a really good movie that's fun to watch. And sometimes yeah. that's the mark of a great movie is that even people who aren't quite with it are still with it. Um, and I think part of it is the story of this movie is so compelling, just the turn in terms of he had to fight to get it made. They had it made at a lesser budget, and then it kind of fell out, fell by the wayside, and people rediscovered it, and it became a cult thing. Mm-hmm. Although at the time, the reason I wanted to see it was because Ain't It Cool News was all in on, this is a great movie, sure. this is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it was, it was already a film nerd thing at that time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there is that aspect of the story of it is so compelling. There's also the aspect of, you know, and I, I think that this is a thing that happens a lot with cult movies from the 80s and 90s. This is a boy movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of great movies that are boy movies. There are a lot of, I, E.T., one of my favorite movies of all time, a boy movie. But, like, D. Wallace gives that mm-hmm. mom so much character there that you're like, and Drew, yeah, oh, don't my God. forget Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, like, like, but this is a movie about a boy that assumes a universality that doesn't necessarily exist. And then asks you to read that into the film where if you can, if you have that childhood, like Brad Bird did, then yes, you're there all the way. Cause it's so beautifully realized. If you didn't yeah. because of any reason, literally whatsoever, it's, there is that remove that doesn't quite put you into the movie, which is what I think holds it back from greatness. Libby, you were going to say something. I, I have, I have one, one point to that. And then I have something else I would like to talk to off of, off of the Vin Diesel line reads, but uh, to that, to that end, I'm like, like, I feel like, and I don't know, this is obviously uh, all circumstantial, but I, I feel like I've met so many men. I've met so many grown men who like, it's the, the iron giant and they're just like gone. They're just, they're just, so emotional about it they're very it's they a ted lasso joke it, about so... it they, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, shows, he shows the team the iron giant and says in 87 minutes all these guys are gonna be crying right that's that's exactly that's where i got it most recently but yeah there is this narrative and it has happened more and more like i just 
meet these men. And I mean, the iron giant is there. Like, that's it. That's, that's, that's it for them. And okay. Like I sort of get it, but (laughs) it's like, I know if I had watched this when I was an 18 year old girl, when it came out, I would have been like, all right. Oh, that's fine. You would have like, you would have liked the giant, big metal man. You I would have loved. I would have loved. You would have cried at the giant. I think. Yeah. Okay. So I. I yeah. Oh, sorry. If, oh, you, if you don't mind, uh, Libby, I just want to go on this, but before we get back to Vin Diesel, um, it, I think your point, Emily, about it being um, a good movie, even if you're not on its wavelength, uh, is where I am. And I think about things like, for instance. Uh, Movies that made my dad cry, uh, Old Yeller, Brian's Song, that I saw when I was a younger person that didn't have the same effect on me that it had on him. And the movies that make me cry, the movie that made me cry as a kid more than any other movie was always Little Mermaid. The end of Little Mermaid when she has to leave her dad was always too much for me, right? Um, that was 89. So that was when I was a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. I'd imagine the people you're talking about, Libby, and I might be wrong, are a little bit younger than us. People who are a little bit younger, 14, 14, 15, maybe even younger when they saw this movie, that this hit them at that exact time when you're a kid and you've kind of outgrown your big best friends, your parents, and you kind of don't know what's going on with the people around you. And you're kind of hoping that like either an alien from the other world like E.T. or someone like the Iron Giant are going to come down and be your best friend. So, and E.T. was another movie that always made me cry as well. So they just hit me at the right time in my life. So maybe for some people, The Iron Giant, just as that movie that hit them at the right time, and I can appreciate it, but it is not, it, it doesn't pull at my heartstrings the way those other movies did. Do I'm, do. I think that's exactly I'm gonna right. I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I think this movie is Gen X's Field of Dreams, literally. Like, Oh, which makes me, which is my other movie that just like destroys. Okay. I think I, so field of dreams was for a long time, the movie that could make guys cry. And like, it was because baseball was this thing that all men were assumed to have a relationship around. So baseball and having a dad, like, and that'll make every man cry. And like, okay, cool. Field of dreams is a, a, a good movie. I, it's another one. I'm not quite on the wavelength of that. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. I like that. Um, I feel like this movie has taken the place of that among, like you think about Bill Lawrence who did Ted Lasso. He's a little bit older than all of us. He's Gen X. You think about a lot of the actors in that show, they're right around our age or a little bit older. So they were pretty already late teenagers, early college age when this movie came out. Like, I think there is something in this that like our shared cultural language, um, kids who were born in the seventies, eighties, nineties is like geek TV sci-fi movie stuff so the iron giant is like oh we all have this shared common pop cultural pop culture lexicon and that's where it hits us is that we assume that everyone's going to cry about you know a big a big metal giant and he's very sad he's a sad boy but he's He's brave (laughs) i wonder so i so it's interesting you say feel the dreams because that like is the other movie that we're going to be doing it on the patreon Mm -hmm. phil did just watch it a couple of months ago i think i had that exact reaction which was i love this movie but it's not like destroying me the way it destroys you feel the dreams is like one of my three favorite movies of all time so i am very much like you know bought into that completely what's interesting about the iron giant and what you're talking about is i i don't know i can't think if there's a movie that's come out in the last let's say 10 years in my 30s that 
has destroyed me like that. Maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, like the Pixar movies, I mean, oh, I still watch the first 15 minutes of and can't help but really be like kind of tearing. Wally, I cried a lot at, but we're talking, I mean, we're already talking. Soul kind of got, I got to be honest, I watched Soul twice in 24 hours and both times it got me. I mean, it, it but I, I, I think that Pixar is definitely tapped into that. Um, they understand how to get us to cry. But um, at the same know. time, both those movies you listed are more than 10 years old. Like if you're talking about... They are. Uh, yeah. But also like the older you get, the harder it is to have that pure childlike cry. Like Portrait of a Lady on Fire destroys me, but that is not, you know, childlike emotions it's calling on. It's adult sure. emotions of regret sure. and yeah. loss and all of that. Libby, right? please tell Boy, me about Vin Diesel. Are... No, hold on. Boy, you all, <laughs> y'all are missing out on PMS. I... <laughs> I want in. Wild. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I want to point out that when Every I want to point out that when Phil said uh, the Iron Giant was brave, Libby mouthed the words "so brave," and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he is brave. He's a brave boy. He's, he's a brave boy. Can I? I also before you talk about Vin's because uh, this this speaks this speaks to that. The other moment that broke me was when he thinks that Hogarth is dead. And his hand quivers, like the way his whole body turns into like this metal structure, this thing that is steel that you think of as as just the strongest thing in the world, literally quivering at the potential of this little boy being injured. Uh, it, it, it was also just like, again, this is the the, the, the animation and the, the silent moments of this film that really speak volumes. It's not great when it's dealing with, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's not great, but it's not as good when it's dealing with plot, when it's dealing with the mechanics of story. When it just lets us love this big, brave boy and his little friend, it just works. Right. I think, I think that's, and I think that's why we keep calling back to Miyazaki is because yeah. Miyazaki isn't, married to that plot driven stuff it's just here are these two yeah. little girls here's this big rabbit nature creature uh <laughs> let's fuck around <laughs> fuck around in the rain here's a cat bus and i'm like yes this is the magical journey and expression of my child i want to see <laughs> i want to see a photo of totoro like holding his umbrella and smiling and like a meme of it fuck around and find out <laughs> <laughs> Can you make that into a T-shirt, please? I will buy twenty. Let's go, Patreon fans. Let's call up Uh, Studio Ghibli and just be like, "Hey, listen, we got a T-shirt idea." (laughs) (laughs) I hate to disappoint you, but I actually don't want to talk about Vin Diesel. I want to talk about the little kid who voices Hogarth because I think he's one of my favorite child performances in a film. He's just so natural and has really natural comic timing like that espresso mm-hmm. scene was bananas yeah. uh, which is which is animated it's the only that scene was that is hand-drawn and animated bananas. by brad bird brad bird did that scene himself which i think is interesting of all the scenes oh, yeah. why that one he likes I to do know. he likes to do scenes with tiny character stuff and that's where he excels mm. like you're talking about the giant's handshaking and like yeah. Uh, but he's yeah. always helped by a great voice performance. That's why Elastigirl is my favorite Incredible, because Holly Hunter's performance oh, is so, so good. good, you know? So good. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, yeah, I love the scene with the, the espresso. I didn't love Dean. And yeah. I think that, that – and I love Harry Connick Jr. Like, yeah. I think he's just like, you know, just, just, just cool and bodied. 
but I wouldn't have gone cool with that character. I yeah. think cool is not the right instinct. Um, that character's... I, I, no, no, it's kind of... Kind of that character's that. built atop a pop culture archetype we don't have anymore, you know? The beatnik, the, the cool mm-hmm. uh, hipster beat guy is a thing that doesn't really exist anymore because it, it was not a cultural movement that existed in the same form past the 50s and 60s. So, you know... Uh, well, it did, but it became a punchline. Like, that's what became... That's what naturally became the hipster. Like, now picture this movie 30 years in the future, or, you know, 40 years in the future, and it's a hipster. Mm-hmm. That's weird. And it, it doesn't hit right. It's, and... it's set in the 2000s, and it stars Adam Driver. Like, that's the... <laughs> yeah, and it's also... <laughs> Portland, set yeah. in like the Oregon mountains, like a small town in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And someone meets it, Bigfoot. It, it, I love this movie. movie already. I love this movie already. Kenny, can we? It, so I guess you guys are hitting. You, you guys are. You guys are, are getting what I'm saying. It's, it, it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like uh, totally the right kind of character for that moment. I totally so agree. Every, everything, like the only, it was almost as if it was just for the, the, the espresso joke, which was wonderful. I think. And you need to kind of. I think it's, I know it's not a good character. I think it's absolutely the right character type because you need a character mm-hmm. who's countercultural to say mm-hmm. American society is broken, which is a thing that this movie kind of hints at with the military stuff. If that was more pointed, again, in the the hour 45 minute version of this film where you get to delve into that a little bit more, I think it would be a lot stronger. I think that Brad Bird is relying on a cultural iconography that was already going out of style in 1999 and now is basically gone. So that message, unless you've watched a lot of the many loves of Toby Gillis, which I have, that like that message is sort of lost on people. But I do think it is saying, you know, rejecting the American mainstream is necessary in some ways. So um, I, I, I want to just sort of, I mean, the end of the film, the, the giant, you know, sacrifices himself uh, for the town, uh, is blown to smithereens. Then, thankfully, we see that he's been piecing himself back together somewhere in, the, in Iceland or the Antarctic or something along those lines. Um, I, I, I want to rate this film because I really want to talk to you about the film that we're doing next week because I am really fascinated to hear about your thoughts on that. Um, so, uh, Kenny, do you want to rate this film first? Sure. Um, never saw it in 99. Uh, before I saw this, I was prepared to give it an 82. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I, I'm going to stay right there. I think it's a gentleman's 82. Um, you know, when, when Emily early on said that she was on board with Ebert's three and a half star review, I felt a little better about where I was, I was landing I think that's about what it is for me. I do think it's a wonderful film. I think it does sit on top of the shoulders of better films and films that I really, you know, prefer. But um, but I think that it's important, kind of to what Libby was saying, I think it's important that uh, when you have a movie like this, it's going to be seminal. And that is super important, really speaks about emotions, that it is responsible. And I think this is a responsible movie. And I think people can feel comfortable and confident and, and proud of having a, a child, particularly a boy child, who looks to this movie as a proper you know, expression of masculinity, as opposed to a lot of the other stuff. Like one thing thought that's just been in my head is I, I know that there are a lot of kids who are in their, you know, between 10 and 20 right now, whose moment, whose, whose Iron Man moment or Iron Giant moment is going to be Iron Man's death in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. 
And is that that great? I'm not 100% sure. I, I like the Marvel Universe quite a bit, but, um, you know, the, the, the kind of... Per- the, the prevalence of violence throughout that world is a way to keep people in line. I, I appreciate that they wrestle with it within the context of the world, but you know, for, for this to be like the, the, the Ted Lasso joke 20 years later, that's nice. That's a nice thing. So 82 is where I'm landing. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I pretty much agree with you to, I came into this at an 82 as well. Just, that was the number I picked after I watched it. I was like, this is a, this is a very good movie. Um, this conversation is actually made me like it more. I'm at an 85 now. Like, it's not drastically more. But uh, I, I think that it's... This is another example, and I don't know if, if this is part of what you're saying, Kenny, too. This film was so built up. Like, this, this, this film has been spoken of in, in, in a way and revered that, that I was like, well, okay, fu- like, fucking bring it. Like, so... And that's not the film's fault, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to hold that against the film. So um, whether or not it was able to to get to the level that people speak of this film for me, I don't know. I'm at an 85. I think it's a very good film. I think it's one of the best films of 99 for sure. Um, you know, and I, and, and I look forward to having a little bit of distance from it and watching it again, you know. So that's sort of where I'm at. But what about you, Libby? Um, didn't see it in 99. Um, yeah. I, I was... I was I'm, I'm, we're all right in the same area and it's infuriating. Um, I'd say heading into the movie, I was expecting to be like you, Phil. I was expecting it to be like, oh, okay, this is going to be one of the best, you know, it's going to be up there. I was like Mm -hmm. 80, I I was like, I'm expecting like an 88 pushing into the nineties if it, if it really struck a chord. And I think 82 is the right score for me. It's, it's, you know, like, I really respect it. It's very good. It obviously emotionally moved me when it was supposed to. Uh, there were certain moments that I will think about a lot in the future, but it's not a movie that I really feel like I'll ever need to watch again. Um, I, I, I really yeah. respect it, and um, I'm glad it exists, and, and that's an 82 for me. Um, yeah. I did see this in 1999. Mm-hmm. You saw part of it in 1999. <laughs> at, the time, at the time, I would have probably said 94. I didn't have it on my list of the 10 best of 99 at the time. I don't remember what all was on there. I know this wasn't. It was one of the ones I mm-hmm. left off and had to like make that choice. I, a lot of the reason I said I loved it that much is because other film geek types liked it, and I was performing my version of myself based on what, you know, the ain't it cool news guys were saying, which it's a wonder I didn't, you know, become a horrible and annoying person. Libby, don't say anything. Um, (laughs) But uh, I, uh, I, I, I liked it. uh, But also if I were to be honest, like I would have, I didn't see some of it. Um, So uh, yeah, I would have said 94 back then. I'm a little higher than all y'all. Um, I was thinking about what would I give this at Vox where we have a five-star scale. I'd give it four and a half. So I'm giving it an 88, which I round up to a 90. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, I like Brad Bird's work quite a bit. I think he's a, a really strong director. I really love to see his films. Um, but yeah, there is a detachment here. I don't feel with the first Incredibles with Ratatouille. Um, okay. And I don't quite know what that is. There's something in it. And I do think it is that we're missing a couple of those scenes or yeah. a more stripped down version of it still, 
would have been more emotionally powerful um, for yeah. me, at least. Uh, that said, the Iron Giant himself gets a, a hundred out of ninety nine. He is yeah. a I he's, agree he's with a that. brave yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. and I love him, <laughs> and I want to hug him, and I think that he should live in my house. Okay, okay. I want to. I want to ask you guys. Be, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Just let me throw this out there really quick. Like, but the Iron Giant and AI would be a really fuck that. Like, like that would really fuck me up, right? Like that would really fuck a kid up, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Teddy, Teddy, and and the Iron Giant is enough to break somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna ask. So, uh, so I never read Ready Player One because, you know, life's too short. But I certainly saw Ready Player One, mm-hmm. and w- which like I like more than I think a lot of people. Um, why do you think the Iron Giant found his way into Ready Player One amongst all these other kind of obvious White boy cultural touchstones. Because it's, it's a Warner Brothers yeah. property, and it was a Warner and Brothers And they wanted movie, a, they that cynical boo. That's literally the answer. In the book, it's it's this <laughs> anime character. That's lame. In the book, it's this anime yes. character, Ultraman, and they couldn't get the rights to it, so they put the Iron Giant in, and there was a whole controversy around the Iron Giant is pacifist, and in this movie, you have him fighting. And, like, yeah, yeah, Steven crazy. Spielberg yeah. had to address it. By the way, Phil, you did not like Ready Player One that much. I saw it with you, and you were kind of like, you eh. saw it. Hold on. You saw it with me the second time. Oh, oh God. Uh, I want to say that was the first <laughs> that was the first movie I saw after self-accepting myself as trans and like letting the door of my brain that was like holding this this teenage girl back and she came out and watched that movie and was like, what the shit? Where are the girls? <laughs> I, I remember. Yeah, I mean, that was... I remember seeing that that film uh, with you, Emily, and I was on script, and I'm sure, Kenny, you know the feeling when, like, you could get an email or a text from the showrunner at any moment about, and you're just like, it was it was a tough movie to watch under those circumstances, but, so, to switch gears pretty abruptly to something very different, uh, next week, we have Sean O'Connor on for Dogma, mm-hmm. and I am very curious as to Emily and Libby's thoughts on the film Dogma. Do you guys have thoughts on that movie? Uh, Emily, do you have thoughts on that movie? I never saw it. I don't think I've ever Me seen either. it. Yeah. Really? Really? I, um, I was not a I was wow. not a huge Kevin Smith fan. Um, I liked I liked Chasing Amy, and kind of that was it. And like I don't know what would happen if I revisited Chasing Amy now. I watched a lot of his movies oh. and just was like, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> but I just, I watched a lot of his movies and I was like, yeah, I just kind of bounce off this guy's work. And, um, you know, I just, I was not, my predominant feeling on Kevin Smith is I was in a film class in college and uh, there was a guy sitting a row behind me who had like on a, like on a, a baseball cap and his big, you know, jacket. And he had the look of somebody who like doesn't, was in the class not to be a, like a director or a critic or whatever, but to like work at a video store more knowledgeably. And uh, the, the instructor was like, okay, who's who, what are people's favorite films? And he just shouted out everything by Kevin Smith. And the instructor Whoa. took a beat and said, all right. And it was so funny. <laughs> Libby knows who the instructor I'm, was. I'm so, I, I am legitimately surprised you haven't seen it just because of the religious component to it. And, and, and it's sort of I, this idea of trying to take, take down sacred lambs. I probably will, was not in a place cows. to see that yet in, in 99. 
Um, I, I was very, very early in breaking free of whatever. I've thought about watching it. It is the one Kevin Smith movie that people I respect are like, you know, there's something going on there, even if like they don't love it, you know? Uh, um, uh, Libby, please, please. I am not sure I've ever seen a Kevin Smith movie. Um, uh, not, even, not even the mid 90s ones. Um, I'm so jealous of you guys. <laughs> Just like just I not, was expecting that you guys would have like real I like I was I'm so no no you're not disappointing Sorry. I'm just surprised honestly I uh that you know that that it just he never interested me um and and I, I don't know I just never got there and then by the time we were sort of of the age where I think we would have appreciated it more it just was never something we went back to we were on to our like prestige movie I've, stage. So I don't think it's I don't think that Kevin Smith and I think Kenny will very much agree with me right now. Kevin Smith is not a filmmaker that's that's worth going back and, you know, and and watching his films necessarily. Um, This this film uh, and I think it's one of our our better episodes, Kenny, because I think that it's one of those like we dig into it. We don't really hold back in terms of how we feel about Kevin as a filmmaker, Um, pros and cons. I think there are some pros to his work. There are some cons to his work. this film in particular is just so odd and with such an, a lightning rod at the time. Like if nothing else, I'm sure you guys remember the, the con, sort of the controversy that surrounded this film um, and, you know, Disney disowning it and having it being released by blah, blah, blah. Can't even get it anymore. Like it's not streaming True. anywhere. It's all. Yeah. Very I uh, actually, now that I think about it, like um, the idea of casting Alanis Morissette as God like at the time, everyone I knew was offended by it. And I was like, I think that's kind of cool. I like that idea. Like it was, it was kind of, I, I guess that like that controversy was one of the first times I broke with like the orthodoxy I was raised in. So thank you, Kevin Smith. Thank you for that. No, honestly, this was when the, when the first cracks were, were showing in a lot of Emily's facade with like religion and politics and, and, and things like that. And and so that's not really a surprise to me. Like even the fact that she started Go ahead, Libby. No, I don't know what the hell I was Even say. the fact that like God was a woman, I was just like, Yeah, that's right. God is a woman, because women are great. We're not gonna examine that for twenty years. So even at this <laughs> so even at this early stage, you were like Interesting. Women as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I always was like, like, I liked Scully more than Mulder. And I didn't have a lot of dude friends who felt that way. You know, it was just, yeah. I mean, I mean, Scully's better. Let's just face it. Um, But that's my little witch. Um, (laughs) Is Scully better? I don't know. But uh, (laughs) I want to go ahead. I like the person who believes. There's something about believing, but whatever. Um, I think that. Kevin Smith is the stinkiest and I as a you know young white male growing up in the northeast in at this period of time it was a rite of passage to watch these Kevin Smith movies and act as if he was on some slightly more enlightened plane than we were mm. um and we thereby you know were able to kind of peer into this slightly more enlightened plane that Kevin Smith seemed to have access to. And very quickly you realize that's not the case and he's a dummy. But over the course of this episode, I think what happened was I really truly dislike his movies. Like I, I think they are very bad movies, but I really gained an appreciation for the man 
in a way that I didn't expect to. Um, and not unlike Iron Giant, in the end of the day, what he's putting forth, particularly in this movie, in Dogma, is not the worst thing to be on the plates of 17 and 18 year old boys. The idea of let's re-examine what we've been taught in Catholic school. You know, let's re-examine the necessity of organized religion. That is, these are interesting arguments that a lot of young people probably heard for the first time in dogma and made them start thinking a different way. Um, so I, I think that there is value in this movie, even as I think it's a pretty shabbily made movie. For as little as I like Kevin Smith, I don't, he, he plays in similar grounds to the South Park guys. And I think he is more responsible in those grounds, which is damning he with is, faint praise, but he, he's, I want, he, yeah. he's much less intelligent mm-hmm. than those guys. I think <laughs> they're much but better he, filmmakers. Yeah. Is, yes. Yeah. But he is more intelligent. I agree. I, I mean, but I, he is, he is that, more responsible. I also just think it's worth noting too, you know, that, you know, we're all fans of blank check on, on, on here. And, and this is, and Dogma is a blank check movie. I mean, this is a guy who's taken a big swing. Uh, it's a script that he worked on for a very long time. It was a, it was, it was his baby project. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's worth him sort of, <clears throat> it's worth acknowledging that it's worth acknowledging that, that he took, production swings he had never done before in this film. Like I'm not, I'm not writing for this film necessarily. And people will listen to the episode next week, but I just sort of wanted to say that like, as a filmmaker, I have my issues with him, but to catch him at this moment in 99, perhaps at the peak of his powers, being able to kind of do what he wants to do or whatever he wants to do is an interesting window into this man as to this being that shot. He shot his shot and whether or not you like it or not, and I think, you know, as you can tell from Kenny and I, neither of us are necessarily big fans of the film. Um, it's, it's a very interesting movie uh, from a filmmaker who might not necessarily have a whole lot of notes uh, or a whole lot of, you know, range. But I, I thought, I, I, I don't know, it's faint praise, but I'm, I still think it's an interesting thing nonetheless. But, but more than anything... I want to thank you both for coming on to talk about our big brave boy for uh, the last <laughs> couple hours. Um, and uh, I just want to go hug a giant. Can right I now. say one? Can I say oh, one please. more thing about the Iron Giant? I'm yeah, so sorry, yeah, please, Libby is already going to be mad. But I have been dealing recently with. Um, um, I don't want to get too deeply into it, but I've been dealing with what I like to call trauma shit. Um, a lot of stuff from you know childhood, adolescence. When you grow up gender dysphoric in America, there's a lot of traumatic stuff that gets buried in your past. Uh, and any trans person will agree with that. And when you are in a traumatic episode, a dissociative episode, you re- revert to a very childlike, animalistic place, and you just kind of collapse. And Libby's been having to deal with that, and that's very hard for Libby to deal with because it's very scary and it's very alienating, and you kind of can't like have all access to all your emotions because you have to take care of this person. And last night before we recorded this, I had one of those and it was bad. It's one of the worst I've ever had. And Libby like got through to me by talking about this movie. And I'm like tearing up thinking about it because it was what I needed to hear in that moment. And I think for my problems with this film, it has that pure core that people attach to. And I'm glad I had this movie for that moment because I don't know if I would have made it out without thinking about choosing 
two to be who you are. Our big brave boy. Yeah. <laughs> who uh, went up into the sky and blew himself up. And then he came back together. He's Jesus. I, I mean, if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, I'm glad we did this episode yeah. for that. And, and that this film was able to help you through that. And, and I, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, we've talked about this a lot through the course of this episode and why people love this film so much and why it's so important to them um, and, and this sort of um, totem that it is for people and that, and that the Iron Giant is this, this wonderful way of, of dealing with things. And, and uh, I'm glad that, that he was able to help you through that too. Yeah. Now let's promote the yeah. stuff that we do, Libby. <laughs> Yeah, can you guys promote your shit now, please? Where, where can we where can we hear your stuff? Where can we hear your stuff and what is it about? Or read your stuff. Um, Libby, do you want to start or should I start? <sighs> You're more practiced. Go for it. Uh, my writing is at vox.com. Um, you can find my Twitter at twitter.com slash emilybdw where I talk about all the stuff I do. I also have a newsletter called Episodes that uh, comes out every Monday and eventually we'll be having more editions coming out. Fingers crossed. Um, it's on Substack. You can find it there. I also link to it on my Twitter because that's what you'd expect me to do. Um, I'm also the co-creator of the fiction podcast Arden, which has been nominated for several awards and people like us. And uh, it stars people you've heard of from Hollywood, but not like stars, just like, you know, character actors, <laughs> okay, beloved character along. actors. I'm trying to sell it to people. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, very- it's, oh, wow. it's a good, it's a good show. You'll like it. It's a comedy. It's a romance. It's a mystery. It's a tragedy it's a whole bunch of stuff at once and season two is just me talking about my childhood which is great um and anyway if you can you find liked, that yeah if you like you that in this episode <laughs> uh this is the second season just finished and it's all available on podcatchers everywhere libby uh, my writing appears at indiewire.com i also have a podcast there uh we talk about television though and not films from 1999 um, usually we talk about television. Often we talk about movies, but still not from 1999. Um, you can find the podcast there. You can find me on Twitter, unfortunately, at twitter.com slash Midwest Spitfire. Um, I'm trying to spend less time there. What a miserable place the internet is. Yeah, it's a dumpster is. fire. Oh, just yeah. the worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like my it. Places. Well, no, I mean, I like it because I can I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's the worst. Guys, I'm totally but like, But then there's yeah. everyone else and that's a fucking drag. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those, that's, oh, I mean, but more literally, you can find me on my couch in downtown LA, but uh, I'm not going to give you any more information than that. So, good luck. Libby, what's... Libby, I want to ask... I was going to oh, ask sorry, what the name sorry. of your podcast is at IndieWire. I am so sorry. The podcast is called Millions of Screens. And Libby, I, as I like to ask whenever we have an awards expert on the show, what's going to win Best Picture this year? Oh, God, Best Picture? I mean, I guess I'd put my money on Nomadland right now. Um, I really don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be one of – I mean, it could go first cow, but I just I just think Nomadland has the front – and I just don't think it's going to be Mank or Chicago Seven or any of those um, big boys. I got. I, I think it's for big boys other than Iron Giant. I think it's going to be News of the World. Oh, really? That's wow. Paul, Paul Greengrass. The Oscars have liked him in the past. Tom Hanks. The Oscars love him. It's a movie about men. Going to happen. What a bitch! I, I've heard it's. I've heard it's very. I've heard that it's like a really solid movie. Mm-hmm. Like you just feel good watching mm-hmm. it. I, it comes out next week on VOD, so I'll check it out then. But 
I'm going mean, to, I'm going to put forth a new theory. Okay. That I haven't put forth. It's the one for them, one for us theory. And I think that last year they did one for us. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to get one for them. And I think, I think Emily, you're kind of saying that news of the world might be one for, for I, them being the old. Uh, yeah guys who do who, who voted for Greengrass. i love i love paul greengrass i'd be so happy if he had a director oscar but yeah it does it doesn't seem like it's his best film but it seems like it is a pretty good movie that everyone can enjoy and that often wins best picture so and, i mean almost yeah. certainly better than almost, yeah. green book so i mean but who knows? I my little victory yeah. is where i, well, I was I, I was on the mank train to what well, we had Joanna Robinson on like a month ago, but I think that train no longer exists. Yeah, that, that, movie, that movie's disappeared. Yeah. Yes, it has. Yeah, it's it gone the way of the Chicago Seven, which is like, kind of coming back. So uh, we'll see. I what mean, happens. I also, I, I'll just, I'm going to put one like little asterisk next to all of this, which is to say that, you know, movies are in contention, I believe, until the awards themselves are in April. So that means that movies until late yes. February, early mm-hmm. March. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could come out between now and then. There's a reason yeah, why Nomadland and these movies are all being kind of held to some degree until later so that they're more in the pole position. But I'm, I'm curious to see if there's, if there's some movie that we're just not sussing out right now that might very well make a splash in February. Uh, I believe it'll be The Crude's A New Age. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the crew. All right. Um, the one last thing I was going to say is that our Patreon launched two days ago on Monday with uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with uh, Brian Cogman. Uh, we would love for people to sign up for that. There are various tiers. There will be lots of 89 movies that we will be covering, uh, two of which will have our guests. Libby is coming on for one and Emily is coming on for one. Uh, and uh, yeah, so please, uh, please uh, sign up for that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much to uh, Ernie and Will for producing the uh, podcast. Uh, to Emilio for doing our social media. Jan doing our theme song and artwork. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.